we respectfully acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we work, live, teach and learn. We pay respect to Elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. The global labour force and the labour market are poised for significant transformation. Universities around the world are taking note. With ageing populations, fluctuating job markets and the unpredictable rise of intelligent technologies, graduates will now be entering a vastly different job market to the one their parents experienced. At OES, we wanted to know, is it possible to forecast how these factors are going to change the employment landscape in the future? This is The Thought Bubble, a thought-provoking podcast brought to you by OES. For over a decade, OES has empowered universities so they can best support students in the digital era. My name is Claire Sadler, and I'm an executive director here at OES. This is a series about all the ways in which new technologies and thinking can propel and transform higher education into the future. If we cast our minds back uh, five, even five years ago, there were people confidently predicting that we would have self-driving cars, you know, be every vehicle on the road by this point and nobody would be behind the wheel. That obviously hasn't come to pass. And so I think we need to have some uh, humility about the, the extent to which we can forecast these kind of trends. For those who don't know the origins of OES, we were founded in 2011 through an industry-disrupting partnership between a leading Australian university and SEEK, a global digital leader. As part of the SEEK network, we benefit from unrivalled access to exclusive global education and job market trends, which informs many facets of our solutions, including innovative portfolio design, content development, and employability offerings. In this episode, we're speaking with Matt Cowgill, a senior economist at SEEK. Matt has access to one of the most telling data sets about our labour market, job ads. He watches the careful dance between advertised roles and job seeker numbers and uses this to draw out key trends about the future of the workforce in Australia. Speaking to Matt is Gavin Fleer. Gavin is responsible for the growth of OES's newly formed employability arm. He has a key focus on graduate outcomes and ensuring students are attractive to employers. Hi Matt, welcome to the Thought Bubble. We're thrilled to have you on board. Thanks very much. It's great to be with you. Uh, Matt, SEEK has a strong presence in Australia, Asia and Latin America. But for our Northern Hemisphere listeners, can you tell us a little bit about SEEK? Yeah, so SEEK is an online employment marketplace, a, a jobs board, if you will. Um, we're active in 10 countries, as you said, across Australia and New Zealand, um, Asia, particularly Southeast Asia and East Asia, and also in Latin America. We're the number one uh, employment marketplace in almost all of the markets in which we operate, so a very strong position uh, in a lot of those countries. We've been around for around 25 years now, so kicked off in, in the late 90s. A pretty big company, uh, one of the, the top 50 listed companies on the Australian stock exchange with around three and a half thousand employees across those 10 countries. Yeah, wow. I think on reflection, even our Australian listeners would be uh, yeah, quite impressed by the sheer scale and the global reach of SEEK. And at SEEK, Matt, what's your role? 
So I'm Seek Senior Economist. Um, my role, thankfully, just focuses on Australia and New Zealand because if I had to be across all of those 10 countries, that would be uh, a bit of a struggle. But really my challenge is for Australia and New Zealand to try and figure out what's going on in the labour market and to do so using our data at Seek but also using external data. So I try and, uh, yeah, figure out what's going on in the labour market and share those insights both internally and with the general public and with government as well. Excellent. That's a perfect segue into understanding or sharing insights around the labour market. If we can start with the headline statistic, which is that unemployment is at a record low in Australia, what does that mean for graduates entering the workforce? Yeah, so you're right at the unemployment rate uh, at 3.5%. And that's just about the lowest it's been since 1974. So very, very low, the lowest in nearly 50 years. Youth unemployment's also super low. So um, unemployment for people aged 15 to 24 is around 8%. That includes graduates, but also people who haven't been to, to uni. 8% might sound high compared to an overall rate of 3.5%, but that's also the lowest it's been uh, in, in over 40 years. So super low youth unemployment rate. It's great news for graduates. It's great news for graduates in particular because we know uh, how much the state of the labour market upon graduation really matters for graduate outcomes, not only in the short term, but over the, a, a number of years after they graduate as well. So there was some really interesting research a year or two ago from the Federal Treasury here in Australia that looked at graduates' wages after they graduated. And it compared graduates who graduated into a recession, one with high youth unemployment, to graduates who graduated at good times like, like today. And those who graduated graduated into a recession, not only had lower wages in their first year in the workforce, but even five years down the track, they had lower wages on average than the otherwise similar graduates who, who left uni uh, in, a, in a good labour market like the one we have today. So it really matters for graduates, not only on graduation, but down the track as well. That's fascinating. And in terms of this historically low unemployment rate, can you talk us through what's driving it? In the short term, there's been a lot of kind of cyclical factors, we'd say, related to COVID. So um, if we cast our minds back to March and April 2020, uh, we didn't really know what was going to happen with the pandemic at that time. We didn't know if or when we might get vaccines and how effective they might be. And so as a result, governments uh, here and around the world really tried to prop up economic activity by cutting interest rates. So that's what we would call monetary stimulus and also spending money, giving, you know, essentially transferring money to households and to businesses to try and get them through the pandemic. With the benefit of hindsight, that stimulus was maybe more than we needed because we know now that we got vaccines, we got vaccines quicker than we expected we might, and they were more effective than, than people um, feared they might be back at the start of the pandemic. So it turns out that we had maybe more stimulus than we really needed to get through the pandemic. And that's been, been one of the factors that has driven unemployment well below where it was when we went into COVID, not just here, but in many advanced economies around the world. Right. And, and so... A lot of the trends you've talked about are clearly very positive for both job seekers and for graduates. Is there any downside? Uh, at the moment, wages and salaries for, for everyone, not just for graduates, are lagging behind inflation. So there's a cost of living crunch on, as, as listeners will be familiar with. Inflation is outstripping whatever measure of wages and salaries growth you look at, which means that people's real purchasing power uh, is falling. So that's certainly a, a grey cloud on the otherwise, you know, sunny labour market sky. 
And in terms of that sunny labour market sky, are you seeing any indications in the data of when we might see the employment rate shift back to what would be considered a more typical rate? Yeah, so we are starting to see it turn already. So here in Australia, the unemployment rate reached 3.4% a few months ago. It sort of ticked up just slightly, bouncing around 35 to 3.6 uh, the last few months. So it does look like it's just started to rise. At SEEK, we see our data generally leads the labour market in that we see kind of changes in job ad volumes tend to tend to happen before something like the unemployment rate moves. And we have seen job ad volumes start to fall of late. So they peaked in around May of last year and have fallen since that time. They're still well above where they were pre-COVID. This is still a really good time to be looking for a job. It's still a really hot labour market, but it's not running quite as hot as it was in the first half of 22. Yeah, certainly um, in our conversations with our university partners and in the sector more generally, I know the universities, while I'm generalising here, but while very pleased for what the current buoyant market means for their graduates, they've always got one eye on the future and they're conscious that that won't always be the case and we won't have the same market conditions. So they're looking at what they can focus on to help optimise their graduates' outcomes in the future as well. Absolutely. And if we look over over the period ahead, say over the next year or two, any kind of forecasts that you look at for, say, the unemployment rate, do expect that that rate will rise over the next year or two. So we've reached those kind of 50-year lows. The Reserve Bank thinks we'll be at roughly 4% at the end of this year. Other forecasters broadly agree. Uh, and then a bit of a further rise through next year as well. So unemployment's still likely to remain below the 5.1% we had pre-COVID, but it is likely to rise a little from here. So it'll still be a kind of a good labour market a year or two out from now, but, but not quite as hot as it has been. Okay. And if we can dive deep into one, what I think is very topical theme at the moment, and that's artificial intelligence. There's there's a lot of literature which talks about the impact of AI on jobs. Can we predict those jobs which will be safest and those which are of greatest risk from AI? Yeah, there's been a lot of attempts to to do that, to predict which jobs might be safe or even to break jobs into different kind of tasks, you know, figure out what it is that people do and figure out which tasks will be the most insulated from AI. One thing I think to say here is that nobody's really sure. And so we shouldn't be too confident about any kind of forecasts around this. Uh, if we cast our minds back uh, five, even five years ago, there were people confidently predicting that we would have self-driving cars, you know, be every vehicle on the road by this point and nobody would be behind the wheel. That obviously hasn't come to pass. And so I think we need to have some uh, humility about the, the extent to which we can forecast these kind of trends. But in general, I would say the jobs that are safest from AI and technological change more generally are those that can't be easily automated. And so these sort of non-routine jobs might include things like if you're a nurse in aged care, if you're performing physical work in, in aged care, it may be aspects of an aged care nurse's job could theoretically be done by a robot, but not very cheaply. It's unlikely that you'd be able to to build and operate a fleet of aged care nurses uh, as cheaply as you can employ aged care nurses, to put it bluntly. And also that technology is a way off. It's not something we have today. So that would be speculative. So any kind of uh, non-routine tasks, it also includes what economists would call cognitive non-routine tasks. So the type of like creative work, the type of work where you're not just performing some 
pre-specified in instructions, following some instructions that were laid down for you. Those are going to be the safest jobs. But anything where you are repeatedly executing either the same kind of physical motions or, you know, going through a script type environment, those types of jobs are, are more prone to being uh, automated, more prone to being replaced by AI. That might include things like, say, a call centre operator who is instructed to interact with customers in a sort of scripted, programmatic way. I don't think those jobs will disappear, but many of them might be replaced with kind of chatbot type interfaces. But it can also include, say, um, some kitchen hands and food preparation work might be outsourced to to robots and, you know, more uh, restaurants might be sourcing kind of pre-chopped onions, if we can put it that way. So anything that's routine, anything that's uh, kind of where you're executing the same action repeatedly, that is primed to be automated. Anything that isn't is going to be safer. Okay. So the key is not to have the job chopping onions. That's right. And Seek obviously sits on a wealth of data about, you know, job ads and job seeker behavior. Do you have any specific examples of emerging high growth jobs? For example, roles that are advertised in Seek where you see significant demand from hirers and that's outstripping the number of applicants for those roles? Yeah, so there's a lot of them. If I look at, say, just like the last year, what's growing really rapidly, it's it's a broad group. It's hard to generalise about the types of jobs that are really booming. Um, we see jobs in modelling and simulation, so sort of scientific jobs, jobs where you are operating uh, machine learning models, as we've just touched on. Those types of jobs are really booming. There's been really strong growth in job ads there. Computer operators more generally. Insolvency and corporate recovery is probably perhaps a bit unfortunate because it reflects some companies having hard times. But that uh, those types of jobs and forensic accounting as well, similar, really kind of strong growth in job ads of late. Ah, there's all sorts, chemical engineering, event management, emergency services. We're seeing really strong growth in job ads uh, in a way that's not, it's not generalizable necessarily about the types of jobs that are really booming. In general, I would say healthcare as, as a general sort of broad category or industry just continues to go from strength to strength in terms of demand for workers. Thank you. And I think, you know, obviously of particular interest, I think, to a lot of our listeners as universities look to a lot of those trends to help inform, you know, what are the new course areas to move into and not just in, you know, the traditional courses themselves, also in things like micro-credentials and where they can offer more targeted work, integrated learning, you know, work experience opportunities. Another theme we hear a lot about is, you know, reskilling and upskilling and people moving not just between roles, but between sectors and, you know, occupations. How important do you think reskilling and upskilling will be to the future of the workforce and the economy? Uh, extremely. So w- as we touched on before, we don't know what form uh, technological change is, is going to take exactly. We don't know how fast AI and related technologies are going to progress. We can't even really predict confidently exactly which tasks or occupations are going to be most heavily affected, even though we can have some, uh, some guesses as I, as I did before. But what we know is that there is going to be change. There is going to be a lot of change uh, in the labour market. And so people do need to be prepared to be adaptable. They need to be prepared to uh, revise and update their skills as technology uh, and, and other you know, trends in global trade and all the sort, other sorts of things that can affect the workforce as they start to have their effect. So, yeah, I think upskilling and reskilling are going to – they've always been important, but the, their importance is only going to continue to grow. We've talked about 
the potential impact of artificial intelligence, and we've just covered there the increasing prevalence of reskilling and upskilling and its impact on the workforce and the economy. We've also got an ageing population and an ageing workforce. Can you talk a bit about what you're seeing in that regard? Yeah, you're right. So the population is ageing here as it is uh, more or less across all advanced economies. It's a little bit less of a a severe or striking trend in Australia than it is in in some other countries, partly because we have much faster population growth driven by higher migration than many other countries have. So we are ageing, but uh, maybe not ageing as fast as as some other economies. What we're seeing is that the labour force participation rate overall in Australia is literally the highest it's ever been. So the proportion of people who are either in work or actively looking for work It's currently at 66.6%, so two-thirds of people exactly, Uh, and that's up on 65.8% pre-COVID, so it has risen over time. For older people specifically, so those aged 65 and above, it's held up over COVID. It hasn't particularly risen. It's been around 15% for the last few years. But over the longer term, we just see a steady rise there. So if we cast our minds back uh, say 20 years, 2003, only 6% of older Australians, those aged 65 and above, were in the workforce. That went to 12% a decade ago, and now we're at around 15. So there's just been a kind of steady rise in the proportion of older people in the workforce. And I think Australian workplaces, there's clearly a lot of untapped potential there. I think that number could go higher uh, if we did more to, to accommodate older people in the workforce. The ageing of the population also sort of creates employment opportunities in some ways as well. So I mentioned before that healthcare sort of goes from strength to strength in terms of its demand for workers. A lot of that does come from the ageing of the population, the demand um, for workers in in aged care, but also in in health and hospitals as well. Well, thank you. There's some really interesting insights into the potential implications of our ageing workforce. And moreover, you provide us with a lot of fascinating insights about the labour market. And I think certainly some really interesting food for thought for um, those of our listeners, many of whom are in the tertiary sector. And therefore, this is highly relevant. So Matt, thank you very much for your time today. Thanks for having me. That was Matt Cowgill, Senior Economist at SEEK, speaking today with OES's Gavin Fleer about workforce trends and changes in the not too distant future. For more discussions about how digital technologies can improve higher education, subscribe to The Thought Bubble wherever you get your podcasts.